Hello and welcome to The Trials, the system playtest actual play podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael and this is The Trial of Cold Steel Wardens. Cold Steel Wardens is a superhero RPG that was written by A.P. Klowski, who is a local designer here near Cincinnati, Ohio. I met AP or Andy at the CincyCon convention earlier this year when I demoed his game and I really liked it. So I asked him to come onto the show and give it a run for a trial and he graciously agreed. And that is what you are listening to now. So the game Cold Steel Wardens, again, is a superhero RPG. It tries to emulate the Iron Age of comics, which is generally a little bit lower powered than what you may be used to with the sudden influx of crazy uh, superhero movies. It has a very Watchmen sort of feel to it, at least I think so. Uh, For this game, we have myself playing Sawbones. You have uh, your favorite co-host and mine, the Caleb G, playing Kadia. We also have Rowett from GamersPlane.com, and he is playing Ambush. And then finally, we had friend of the show and patron, Jason, who is playing Camshaft. In our previous episode, we completed the actual play portion of this series of The Trials, with the completion of the investigation into Sensodyne and the escaped data, and apparently the actual escaped bees as well. So for this episode, we have brought all the players back together to discuss the game, the system, and to give it sort of a once-over, kick the tires, as it were. So I hope that you will enjoy, well first, I hope that you have enjoyed this series of Actual Play Podcast, and hopefully you will enjoy our recap and review. I just want to mention once again that AP will be at a catacon demoing this game, running some sessions, as well as a new board game that he is developing as well. So if you do like the game and you happen to be at a catacon, lucky you, you can have a chance to play it and or pick up a copy of the book. He will be selling hard copies at the the table and there are PDF versions available online through Blackfall Press on DriveThruRPG. So anyway, on to the show. Here is The Trial of Cold Steel Wardens, episode number five, recap and review. And we are here tonight to recap our trial of Cold Steel Wardens, the superhero RPG from Blackfall Press. I had the players with me on the night that we played as Caleb, Jason, and Roe, and they have joined me once again so that we can recap our experiences and talk about the game, what we liked, maybe what we didn't, and just some overall thoughts and feelings. I do want to mention quickly that um, the writer of this RPG, uh, his name's Andy, I had met him previously at CincyCon, and I had played this game once before. I really liked it, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do it on the show. But he has also agreed to come to a catacon, and he has agreed to give us a copy of the book to give away. So as I usually do, I'll start on the left. Caleb, go ahead and say hi to everybody. Hello. Jason, if you want to say hello to everyone. Good evening. And Ro. Hey, guys. All right, so Caleb, I will start with you. Uh, Some big picture thoughts. What did you think of Cold Steel Wardens? In general, I really liked it. We have been lucky enough to play quite a few different superhero systems recently, and I really enjoy that because it's really been 
scratching that itch of trying systems that are not just fantasy based. So I really enjoy the opportunity we have had to get out and try something different. And let's be honest, everyone wants to be a superhero. So the fact that we've been able to be some awesome superheroes the past couple game outings, I'm just thrilled about. I also really like the fact that every system we've played has had a very distinct and unique feel. A lot of times, if we are jumping between fantasy-based systems in that classic D20 vibe, they're all really similar, and it's just different little tweaks that set them apart. <laughs> Every superhero system we've tried recently has been extremely different, and that's been really enjoyable. It's been really refreshing. It's given me an opportunity to learn new mechanics, get associated with new mechanics, and when you're diving into a new system and new mechanics, it really forces you as a player to kind of start from the beginning and go back to that mindset you had when you were a brand new player. So that's really cool. It's a really nice place to be in from a perspective and mindset. Cold Steel Wardens as a rule set was definitely engaging. It wasn't super crunch heavy, but it wasn't super rules light. It fell right in that sweet spot with lots of things you could do as a character, but not being over complicated. So I think all in all, it delivered a, a very good superhero feel to the gaming table. Yeah, I would actually uh, just jump in there and say that uh, I, I've said many times before that RPGs is my second favorite, you know, RPG system or should, you know, superhero RPGs. And I had not played any in years and years and years. And this is now the fourth different RPG system I have played in less than a month, I think, or right around two months. So I'm definitely getting my fill in. And I, and I really like how it's, it's allowed me to compare them kind of close together, uh, which I think has been very neat. But before we get to me, we'll go ahead and go to Jason. So Jason, same kind of question to you. Overall, what did you think of Cold Steel Wardens? Maybe some like big picture ideas, good or, or bad? Yeah, I'd like to echo you and Caleb with the superhero vibe. Um, I really enjoyed that a lot. I've just been playing fantasy RPGs. You know, I haven't been into it that long, but almost every system I've played has been either the fantasy or the magic, you know, that kind of world. I really enjoyed being in the modern real world in this system. And, you know, the, the specialties that each character have really seem to fit the character. You know, I'm a, a scientist, so I have, you know, databases and science and technology community and you know human experimentation and that seems to fit really well with the the superhero vibe of you know a scientist who knows everything that's going on and has a cybernetic arm and can just kick some ass out there on the battlefield i the dice mechanic was a little bit off to me um, i'm sure we're going to get into that in a minute so that's one thing that i didn't like about the system i you know i've played a lot of d20 type games and i like that a lot i like the idea of the 20 hit and the one hit and when you roll a large number of dice it, i didn't really like that part that much but the flavor the characters um the world that you're in i loved all of that all right very cool thank you very much and uh Rose, same question to you just overall what were your thoughts about the game so right off the bat uh I'm, I'm in the same boat there haven't been any good superhero systems that i've seen as of late the last i did was a marvel system i don't remember what it was called but you ended up gathering energy and then expending that to use abilities. And I thought it was a really neat mechanic. And since then, there hasn't really been anything that's been anything besides the D20 system shoved into superheroes. 
So I thought this was really cool. It was a unique system. It, I like the idea that it was, it's the iron age of comics. We're talking about, if you're into comic books, this is a very particular setting. You have some idea of what things are like. And I really enjoyed that. I actually did like the dice mechanic. And I think it's because uh, coming from Shadowrun, I'm a big fan of rolling a ton of dice at one time. And so the opportunity to roll, I think my biggest roll was, I think, 12 or 13 D10 in one go. That, to me, just has a special feeling that I absolutely love. But I can agree that if it's not something you're used to, it's not easy to instantly pick up. We're very used to D20 systems these days, and it's different. I don't think in a bad way. I think it's something that, if you're not used to, does take some adapting. But I think one of the things that was a little strange to me was just the option of uh, 6 to 9 being a hit and then 10 being a double and then, you know, the opposite side, basically like a 50-50 scale, and that there's no modifier on that. I understood that the number of, uh, of hits you needed to succeed, but I would have I thought there would have been something like there's a difficulty range in here, so only 7 to 9 is a hit or something like that. But all in all, very enjoyable system, great setting. Next, I need to see how characters are generated because I feel like that's the only thing I didn't get a feel for. All right, excellent. And uh, we are going to break down the mechanics on and how that worked and how the roles were uh, derived in, in just a minute. Uh, but for me, big picture, no shocker, I really liked the game. Uh, again, I played it once before. I really liked it then, which is why I wanted to play it for the show. Uh, Caleb kind of said it for me earlier where he said this kind of hits the sweet spot. So in the games I played recently, we played Metahumans Rising, which is a currently kickstarting right now, and it is a super crunch-heavy RPG game. And I'm not a super crunch-heavy guy, though I did really like that game because I thought the mechanics fit and they worked well for that system. I also played Marvel Heroic, which is like the opposite of that. That's like super rules light. It's, it felt very fate to me. I think it's based on Cortex or Cortex Plus, but it felt like fate to me because I'm more familiar with that. Uh, this one falls right in the middle. I felt like it, there was enough crunch that I could kind of get excited about the numbers. And like when you like say when I roll eight D10s, that feels kind of cool. I get to see all the numbers and you try to get big numbers. And I just felt that that was a good sort of medium range between rules and crunch. But my absolute favorite part of the game, and I'm hopefully you guys can, can chime on this in a minute, is that when it came to our superpowers, those just worked. Like in all the situations, that really wasn't like, do I roll to make this happen? At least not most of the time, and certainly not for my character in particular. If my character could face through walls, if I wanted to face through a wall, I just face through a wall. And then the story and the mechanics were more like the investigation standpoint, because we were playing like a mystery. We were trying to unravel things. So our roles were more about, do we find the clue or do we put this together? Or can we turn on the computer? It was never, can you face through that wall? I could always face through that wall. And I just think from a superhero mechanic, that's kind of the best way to do it because then you don't have to, that's why, that's why you don't have to be super crunch heavy. Uh, but we'll go ahead and we'll spin back around. We'll go back to Caleb. Uh, would you mind kind of going over, you know, you don't have to go too in depth, but sort of like how the mechanic worked and how the dice were rolled and, and uh, successes were gathered, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Now, as Roe pointed out, we were not able in this play test to experience the character generation mechanics of Cold Steel Wardens. We were given pre-made, pre-generated characters that were pretty 
decently fleshed out in my opinion i cannot believe that these were first level uh superheroes brand new guys on the field these feel like heroes that have been established for a while so we got a chance to work uh with some some cool powers and cool abilities essentially in cold steel wardens you grab a big handful of d10s and you throw them on the table so anyone coming from that shadow run vibe is going to be right at home here and speaking from someone who normally plays d20 or dice light systems being able to grab a handful of 5 10 20 dice is very satisfying of course it's also a little bit time consuming so that is a potential downside to this thing because the core mechanics once you roll those d10s there is a chart that is on every single character sheet it's right there in front of you very well made props to the designers for putting it right there on the front of the sheet so it's a great resource and it tells you the what the the results of the dice mean a 1 is a negative 1 hit a 2 to a 5 is a no hit a 6 to a 9 is a 1 hit and a 10 is a 2 hit and when you're rolling that massive handful of dice you're looking to get the total number of hits or successes if that makes a little bit more sense in the vernacular so you're looking for a total number of successes or hits and then that total number is compared to whatever target number the dm is using at the time so it's a 50 50 shot of success or failure however on the low end of failure you lose a hit and on the high end of success you gain an extra hit I'm not the uh, the math guy, despite being the crunch guy at the table here. If Scott was here, I'm sure he could whip off the statistical benefits of what this system actually means, but he's off doing crazy government things. In general, on your character sheet, you've got uh, your vitals. They call them vitals, but they're basically your statistics. And there's eight of those. Uh, you also have a bunch of skills under physical, investigate, social, knowledge, and technical groups. Now, I don't know if these are the same skills that everybody has, and just the rating you have in those skills is what matters. Uh, I don't know if during character generation, you pick and choose how you buy those skills and what are available to you. So that's something we don't really know. I'm pretty sure they are. The specialties is where you differentiate your characters, from my understanding. Okay, there you go. So under your skills, then you also have specialties and specialties are basically another level of training or proficiency. So under knowledge, you might have cultural, historical, criminal, but then you have a specialty of gangs or organized crime or some sort of science or what have you. And those give you extra dice. The mechanics here, whenever you're using a skill, Whatever the number of the skill is, if it's a two, it's a seven, it's a one, if it's nothing, that's the number of dice you roll. And you add in any uh, bonuses you have from specialties or other bonuses or penalties that might be rolling around on the table. Each skill you're rolling is related to one of your vitals or your statistics. You get to add 
the vitals as a bonus, but those are bonus successes or hits. They're not bonus dice. So for example, on the character that I played, he had a seven intimidation, which is under a social skill. And that was related to either magnetism, which is a little bit like charisma, or force, which is kind of going to be more strength-based. So I would, if I was making an intimidation check, I would roll 7d10 plus any other d10s that might be added in because bonuses or penalties or specialties. And then I would add to the successes I generated the raw number of either magnetism or force, and then that would be my final total. Uh, you did the same exact thing for your attacks. Uh, it was a big chunk of dice plus a number. And that's what generated your total successes, your hits. And if you succeeded on that attack, you then rolled another big chunk of dice for your damage. And you totaled up the successes the same way to see how hard you hit your target. There's some other things on the character sheet too. Uh, you have a pace, which is basically your speed. Uh, you have your defensive value, and then you have wealth and status. All of these are derived from your core stats, your vitals, and they're written right there on the sheet, what you add together to get to them. Uh, your pace and your defensive value make perfect sense. Wealth and status, uh, that is something that not a whole lot of games are still using nowadays, but I like it. It's a little bit of a throwback to the old Call of Cthulhu system, where you had a reputation and a credit score or a credit limit that actually impacted how well you could interact with the world around you, how, uh, how easily you could acquire resources and get what you needed. I think one of the takeaways from this is almost everything I've talked about here, no, let me take that back, everything I've talked about here is really skill-based. It's all to support your role-playing and how you are interacting with the world. As Michael pointed out a little while ago, the powers are there and they're just your powers. They work. Now, all of them are a little bit different. Some of them do feed in to different attacks you make and, and different skill checks you might make. But for the majority, your powers are your powers and the skills you have are all about how you do things. So the emphasis is not so much on how I hit or how well I use my magic robot arm it's what type of person my hero is what the background is what he or she brings to the table when doing heroic things so in so in regards to what we covered first so there's gonna be more to the the breakdown of how the game works in a minute so more role play and stuff as well was there anything about that that you particularly liked or didn't like and we'll do it fairly quickly and then we'll go through everybody for me it made a lot of sense within the the mechanics we were looking at. Since I since we didn't get to experience character generation, I don't really know how we got to those numbers. So I, my only my only point of disagreement at this point is I don't know where those numbers came from. I don't know how I started, and I don't know how they developed. As Roe pointed out while I was rambling there, uh, Andy did mention that we were playing experienced characters, so we have been leveled up a couple times. So I just don't know how we got to that point. 
it's nice having a big handful of dice to do things with, but it does slow the game down a little bit because you got to grab all your dice, throw them down, find them all, count up the successes and failures, add in what you have to add in. And when you're rolling a big hunk of dice for an attack and another big hunk of dice for damage, that makes combat not inefficient, just time-consuming. But I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just an aspect of the game that should be clarified and needs to be understood. All right. So, Jason, we'll jump to you. So, in in regards to the things that Caleb's already covered as far as the game works, uh, was there anything about the mechanics specifically that you didn't didn't understand, didn't like, or, or did like? I know you mentioned earlier that you weren't really a fan of rolling D10s. Uh, that is a pretty standard mechanic. It's something you probably aren't used to, uh, which is fair. But is there anything about how the system worked beyond that that you didn't quite understand, didn't like, or did like? Yeah, and I think possibly part of it was I don't actually have that many D10s. I only own <laughs> rookie, <laughs> so I actually had to roll on the roll on the the app in Google Talk to be able to do it. And I think that did take away some of the enjoyment of it to not have physically that big pile of dice in my hands. And then also just again being new to it, the first couple rolls, I think probably one or two out of the first six rolls, I'm pretty sure I screwed up the counting. Like I counted a five as a hit when it really wasn't. So, but once I got used to it, you know, the later part of the game that worked out itself fine and I got used to it. So yeah, I think the, the fact that it was not physical really took away some of it from me. Um, on the skills themselves, there's a lot of them, which I'm not really used to, but they all seem to be siloed pretty well. You know, when we were asked to do something, he would come back with, you know, not just using a skill in the investigate, he would be able to differentiate between investigation versus examination versus notice. And it all made sense. You know, the notice is, you know, just see something out in the world. Investigate is I'm looking around a room for something to find. An examination is I'm looking at a small object trying to figure out some fine detail. And I like the fact that those three are actually different skills. You know, my character is much more proficient in examination as a scientist than she is at investigation because she's not a detective or anything like that. So I, I liked the differentiation of skills a lot. And just to jump in, you know what's really interesting? That is a throwback to D&D 3.5 slash Pathfinder, Shadowrun, that older generation of systems that not a lot of the newer players have seen yet. Jason is coming in from... Uh, a fifth edition kind of world. So he is used to that very, very simple, streamlined, open to interpretation, perception covers everything kind of world. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's interesting to see the differentiation and what new systems are going back to and what new systems are trying differently. All right, bro. So we'll move to you as far as the character. Was there anything about the mechanics that we covered with Caleb there that uh, you just want to call out for some reason or another? Yeah, I was, I, I think my one thing that I loved the most was the specialty system. Um, the idea that in a scenario, you get bonus dice. One of my character, my character had, uh, what was it? Keen hearing. And in other games, I, it's ironic because Caleb pointed out, you know, three, five and other systems like that, where uh, I used to love playing a rogue and I'd have like 40 skills and somehow need to manage all of those. But when I allotted points to one skill, they were in that skill. It wasn't really, there's nothing much that transferred. This was cool because here I had keen hearing. 
So if I was trying to do anything that involved noise, I got a bonus die to it. It didn't matter which of uh, that's under, it was under the investigative skills. So any of the investigative skills, anything that involved noise, I got bonus die. And it, it, it makes more sense for a character because if I have good ears, it doesn't mean that I only have good ears in one particular skill. It means I have good ears in a wide array of skills. And so I, I really did like that particular, uh, that particular item. The other big thing is, uh, I think more like or dislike is a question. The character sheets have room for two powers. And it kind of made me wonder, in previous superhero games, characters have a lot of powers. Sometimes it's bucketed, sometimes it's not, based on how the system works. I don't know whether it's just we didn't get a clear enough expanse of what this system is, or whether it's actually limited, but do characters only get two powers? Am I limited to two different things? Or is that simply the character sheet's physical limitations that we've got? Yeah, and again, those are things we just don't know from the pregens. It's it's possible. I'm sure, if, again, if you buy the book, you can do whatever you want. You could have 10 powers. <laughs> but I'm going to guess that because of the way powers work, where they just kind of seem to work, that probably makes sense to limit them. And plus, this being sort of an Iron Age role-playing game simulation, my memory of the Iron Age type of comics is that you did have fewer powers, you were more specialized, like you did a certain thing, that's what you did, and everything else revolved around that. So in my my guesstimate is that, yes, that you're probably limited to a number of powers. Although you do make the good point that because of how broadly these powers are based, uh, well, I think that um, Jason had a power that was just cybernetic arm, and so everything fell under cybernetic arm, and... That's pretty broad. In other games, that would have been split up into maybe two, three powers based on how the system works. So you, that's probably true. I have teleport. That's everything you need to know right in one word. Yeah. And you were awesome, by the way. And again, all the characters. We're, that's the next thing we're going to do. We're going to go through the characters and talk about how awesome they were. But one thing I want to point out, and, and we didn't really touch on this, but um, the characters also have something called masteries. And these were just sort of basically like rule breakers for each character. And again, since we didn't go through character generation, we don't exactly know how those were derived. But every character had certain things that they could just do. Uh, so, for example, my character had um, in Infiltrator. So I did not have a pace penalty when I was trying to be stealthy. So normally you do. And it's just something my character just does. I don't have to roll anything. It's just whenever I'm trying to do that, if whenever we do that, I just get to do that for free. I also have, oh, in and out it takes me half as long to investigate and I can automatically cover my tracks where someone else without that mastery would take longer to investigate and they would have to take an action or specifically state they were doing those things. So I just, again, that's another thing that each character. And again, I just want to give Andy credit. He built these characters very well. They felt real. They felt like everything connected and made sense together. And it reinforced that the things I could do make sense for who I was uh, which we're going to touch on next, which is how we got to those kind of characters. So one thing I'll, I'll touch on as far as the mechanics is, is it's a lot like many other systems. You have a static number. So you have a variable number and you have a static number. You roll the variable number and you come up with a certain number of hits. You add that to your static number and that gives you your total, which you're trying to beat a target number. And I don't, I really didn't get a feel for what those target numbers were. You know, is, is lifting a car a three or is that a 15? I don't really know, but most of your vitals, like all mine are either three, four or five. Like I don't have any that are 12 and I don't have any that are one. And it seemed like if we got in like the seven to 10 range 
we were succeeding most of the time. So I have a feeling that the numbers are kind of small, and I think that all works together. My one criticism, and I think Ro and I are on the same page here, at least I think it was Ro that mentioned that, um, I think successes, it should be successes, not hits. So whoever said that earlier, I argue with you. I, I just It, it would have made more sense to me if you were rolling for successes, not hits. I don't know why, but that just sticks out to me. Is, um, I would have chosen a different word, but, uh, but that's really pretty much it. All right, so Caleb has something. Well, uh, speaking to that, Michael, I, I think the middle mid range of the numbers that we were generating that really comes from what you said a couple minutes ago the fact that we are in that iron age of comics and that's where cold steel wardens is living this was an age of comics where people weren't picking up cars and throwing them around and and flying through buildings and and tearing all around outer space in their superhero fights. It was a much more grounded, I'm going to punch you and you're going to punch me and we're going to have a fist fight kind of superhero. This was the age when Superman actually leapt over tall buildings rather than flying through space. And he could outrun a speeding Mm -hmm. train instead of going back so fast he could turn time backwards. Exactly. So I, I think the fact that we're not trying to get 20 and 30 out of our dice pool fits the flavor that the game is trying to portray. And when you guys go back and listen to our game, that flavor might not come out very well because I think we were in more of a modern world and a modern session. So it didn't really carry that kind of 50s gangster superhero kind of thing that some of those older Iron Age comics did. But that's the vibe the game is going for. And I'm going to bet that when you go through character creation and world creation you can really flesh out that old school very focused very determined superhero but he's not a crazy metahuman he's just a regular guy who can do a couple special things and maybe that's why the powers are limited and maybe that's why the powers just do what they do because they want uh, the designers want to take away the emphasis from here's how my cybernetic arm works. I have a plus two to this gun and I have, I have this when I'm trying to lift and I have that power when I'm trying to punch somebody. It's a freaking robot arm. Do what you want with it. Be your character who just happens to have this power. So I, I think if we're looking at that flavor aspect and that role-playing aspect, the game very successfully delivers its intention. All right, so let's move to the back of the character sheet. So we'll go over the rules a little bit here and talk about the way hit points work, uh, the powers, and then specifically I want to make sure we talk on, t- uh, touch on memories, motivations, and stances because I really like that, and that ties together with the vigilance pool, which is another thing I want to talk about. So, Caleb, we'll turn it back to you if you want to go over the back of the character sheet mechanics. Okay, so on the back of the character sheet, you've got your powers, and there's descriptions and effects and how they work. You also have a nice resource, again, of how the roles work, the successes you're looking for, and some other bits and pieces to help you out. Uh, On either side of the back of the sheet, we have a physical strain and a mental strain list. So we've essentially got hit points, but it's been split between your, your physical damage and your mental damage. So we've got a nice breakdown 
uh, and a split between what is basically hit points and sanity. If we want to go back to that Call of Cthulhu reference that I'm so fond of. And, and the certain types of uh, effect, effects and attacks that come up during the game uh, take a toll on either your hit points or your sanity. Uh, if you guys remember from the game, at some point <laughs> there was the very lovely encounter we had with the dead guy that was being kind of reanimated by the mutated bees. So he was kind of an undead shambling zombie. And when we were punching him, let me rephrase that, when you guys were punching him, because I was never part of that fight, everyone was taking some mental strain because they were essentially watching a giant swarm of horribly mutated bees erupt out of a dead body. So yeah, you're going to roll sanity in that situation. Or in this case, uh, you're going to do, if I remember correctly, you do checks uh, against some of your vitals to see whether you not you take strain damage. Uh, but some of the attacks that we suffered did inflict mental strain versus physical strain. And as a nice little twist, you had a maximum, of course, of your, your hit points or your sanity, but you also had what, what's called a breaking point. So this was a threshold that you would cross that once you got to that low a hit point level, you started taking penalties. And I think this was a really great way to simplify the problem that a lot of other games have where you either are all or nothing or you have to break down an incredibly complex chart of how you get hit and where you get hit and how that impacts your actions. So in a very streamlined and simple, easy to utilize mechanic, you've got your total hit points and you've got a threshold that you cross that you're not quite dead, you're still in the fight, but you're taking penalties. Really simple, really easy. And all of those numbers are generated straight from your vitals or your statistics. So you're pulling right from one side of the character sheet to the other. Uh, in the middle of the back of the sheet, uh, we have what Michael was talking about, which are memories, motivations, and stances. Now, this is a little bit uh, of a, a background and a flavor of your character. It's also a lot about how your character acts in the world, what his or her motivations are, why your hero is doing what your hero is doing. If we want to compare to 5th edition, these are a lot like bonds and flaws and ideals. Uh, they have a very strong vibe from the Fate games, where they are the aspects of your character, um, your, your overall prime aspect that says what you're doing, and maybe even some problematic aspects that cause you trouble in your heroic quest. These things are great to utilize as coming into a pregen character because now I know what my character is trying to do. I'm going to assume that when you go through character generation, you get to build these and come up with these in your session zero, and you probably get to adapt and manipulate them as you develop as a hero and the world changes you a little bit. But in general, the memories, motivations, and stances uh, have a lot of impact on your choices because they tell you what your character is doing and why he's doing it. Yes, uh, very cool. And um, I just want to throw in there the thing with the threshold because I, I agree, and I know Ro put it in the chat that he really liked that system, as did I, that um, it looks like each of your thresholds is basically a third of your total. 
I'm not great at math, but that's what looks right to me. And so like for physical strain, basically from maximum to your threshold is bumps and bruises, scrapes. Uh, once you get past your threshold, you're taking actual physical broken bones, concussions, uh, internal bleeding, that type of thing down to the point that you die. And then for mental, the first few can be fear, stress, you know, some sort of heightened emotional state. But then once you get to your threshold, you actually start taking psychoses and you roll. And even though you're not dead yet, you could have, again, you, you relate, related to them as penalties, but they're more like in game penalties where you're now afraid of this thing. How do you react to that? You now have flashbacks of the day you got your powers. How do you react to that? Uh, so I really like those where hit points became a role playing mechanic rather than just a, how close am I to dead? So I really, really like that. And then with the, uh, memories, motivations, and stances, as you said, it's very similar to bonds, fly, flaws, and ideals from fifth edition. And there's a similar, similar sort of advantage mechanic. Uh, in this game, it's called the vigilance pool. And if you listen to the actual play episodes, you should hopefully be familiar with that. You start the game with a number of dice and just a basic bucket in the middle of the table. And when you follow these motivations and stances and memories and you play to your character, then the DM adds dice to the pool and it can go up. And then let's say you really need to make a roll, you can subtract dice out of the pool. So there's a constant sort of ebb and flow of the dice going in, the dice going out. And one of the things I thought was really kind of cool is he talked about it's situational. So let's say that there's a there's a point in the game early on where I really want uh, my character to have something that I didn't plan for whatever. So I may say, okay, can I have this thing? And he may say, sure, that'll cost you two dice out of the vigilance pool. Okay. Well, later I may want that same thing, but if it's now a critical juncture in the game where having that or not could really turn the game around, it may cost 10 dice out of the middle. So it really, it's, I just like the way that it's sort of, it's a, it's a flexible, uh, flexible number. It fluctuates, which if you have a DM that's really into it, and I think Andy was really good at that, that could be a very cool part of the game. So I really, really like that. So let's go back through. We'll start with Roe this time, just because Caleb has been talking a lot. So I just want to talk about your character specifically. You can talk about who you were, what they could do. And if there's anything mechanically about your character, that's a little bit outside of what we talked about or anything you want to call out. Yeah, sure. So my character, um, again, was Ambush. I was basically a teleporter, a teleporting amateur model. I found that to be particularly amusing because my character had the specialty of smooths, which I tried to make work, but unfortunately didn't in our particular session. But I thought it was kind of cool because so I'm a big fan of role playing, especially role playing mental flaws. Um, And my character had uh, the flaw traumatized and the flaw, psychosis, minor claustrophobia. And it meant that I almost always failed my psychosis rolls. Anytime I was going to take mental damage, I took mental damage, and I actually did hit my threshold. And I forget if I hit zero. I don't remember. I think I went insane, and then I had to take a die to not go insane, if I remember correctly. Another really cool thing was I I never got to use this because... My entire my entire character's combat was teleport to B Man, throw him into sugar, try to escape. He had uh, I had the mastery of kung fu, which would let me actually take two unarmed attacks as one action. And it's one of those things that in a lot of games, in order to take multiple attacks, you need something like ambidexterity as a feat, or you need to have a specialty that lets you do multiple things. 
it seems to be from the system that certain actions are already built in. You just take a penalty to your die pool and then you just get to do it. And I think that's a really neat way of doing things without cluttering character sheets and character building. If I was fighting in real life and I had to punch with both hands, it's not like all of a sudden I would forget how to use one hand and I'd just be punching with my right all the time. You know, if I need to break things down using different body parts, all right, I just do a little worse at it. And that's kind of captured by the way this dice pool system works out. So one thing I wanted to mention there that I, I really liked about the way your character worked is you had defensive teleportation as one of the sort of flavors on your power. And the GM said up front, he goes, I'm never going to hit your character in combat. And if I'm correct, he never did. But you nope. still were in danger because of the mental track. So the fact that you have a psychosis, you still was taking mental damage, and you actually are, the I think, the one that got closest to dying because of that, even though no one ever physically touched you. So that goes, goes back to what I like about the game with the powers. They just work. You just teleported. A teleporter's not going to get shot. I mean, the opening scene of X-Men 2 is the coolest freaking thing on the planet when Nightcrawler was bamfing through the White House and all the things that he did to the security guards. Like, that's amazing. That's kind of what your character was. So the only way your character really gets put in danger is from that psychosis, the mental hit point aspect, which came out in our game. So I was a big, big fan of that. A huge fan as well. Awesome. Jason, let's go to you. Let's talk about your character and if there's anything mechanically about uh, them that you want to call out. Well, I was playing Camshaft, um, Dr. Isabel Reedy. Um, so she was a scientist, uh, graded right ahead of the class, but a fire killed her lab assistant. So her motivations are, you know, safeguarding new technology. We don't want that to get in the hand of criminals. Um, you don't want violence. You know, we can... We can stop crime without violence. We don't have to kill everybody. Um, you know, taking time to think before you act. And then she's also trying to do the right thing. She's heroic. That was one of her flaws, injuries, and psychosis. So she did have a lot of, you know, good guy, superhero flavor, which I really liked. But the coolest thing about her is her cybernetic arm. You know, we've talked about that a, a lot here tonight, but it's really integral to her character. There's a couple things that it can do first. It has a built-in surveillance drone, which, like all the powers, it just worked. You know, I can send that out. Um, it'll spider crawl into doors, under cracks, whatever, and, uh, you know, show me what's going on. Um, it was also my weapon. It had a built-in blaster. And then it also, you know, changed my physical characteristics. Um, normally, I have a, an accuracy of three on a force of four. But if I'm doing something with the cybernetic arm, those numbers change to six and eight. You know, if I'm lifting something with my off left hand, I probably can't do it. But if I use a cybernetic arm to lift it, boom, up it goes. I can succeed on almost everything with that, with an eight. So he really integrated deeply into my character and it, you know, became a part of me as the player. Like I was able to use it just like any other part of my body and it actually had an effect. It was really, really cool. Um, it also does have drawbacks too, you know, it says difficult to disguise. You know, I wouldn't, I had a mask on, but I don't think it really did me any good in the world because there's this arm sticking out there. You know, I'd have to be wearing full trench coat, gloves, everything. Um, and then it requires repair if damaged. You know, we didn't get into a lot of physical fights, but I like that, again, it's sort of part of me. If it gets hurt, I have to spend some time and some tools and start repairing it. So I'll go ahead and, and go next. I usually go last, but again, we'll, we'll give Caleb some time to, to breathe over there. Uh, so I was playing Sawbones, uh, who was a 
uh, he, he washed out of the police academy, became a paramedic, and then there was a terrible accident where his partner died, and that was the same time that my phasing powers manifested, which allowed me to live. Uh, so there's some psychosis trauma in my background as well, and I, I also had some penalties to taking psychosis damage, which makes sense, because just much like Ambush, my character is almost impossible to hurt physically because I can just phase through everything. Um, which I want to touch on again, that just goes back to the flavor of the world is I'm pretty sure that there's, there's tragedy in every one of our backgrounds. And, and, you know, uh, there's, there's the Batman vibe that something terrible happened to set us on this path of vigilantism. It's not just like, Hey, I want to be a superhero, uh, which is again, it's a common trope, you know, uncle Ben dies, Batman's parents dies, but it fits within that world of the stories that we're trying to tell. Uh, so he, I was a, a, a phaser. I think they call it. I could I could phase. Uh, I had some optional effects. I could create an MP, uh, excuse me, an EMP effect if I tried to phase through electronics. It never actually came up in the game, but I could like phase my hand into a computer and wipe its memory, or I could phase through like a camera system so we couldn't be seen, which is kind of cool. I would take physical strain if I did not if I came back to real matter inside of a physical object. So obviously, if I only get halfway through a wall and then turn back real it hurts and i cannot phase through inorganics so someone tries to punch me i actually couldn't stop that but i can phase through just about everything else and i just really like that i like the way my character worked um i like my background you know he kind of bitter about the police academy because he washed out so he feels like the cops are corrupt uh, so he has a negative attitude about them uh I, again i i just really really like the way i think the characters are really really well built and put together one of my critiques, I kind of forgot to mention this earlier, so I'll just throw it in here now, is I actually don't really like the way damage works because once you roll a handful of dice to see if you hit, you then have to roll a handful of dice to see if you damage. And there were a couple times in our games where it was hard to hit, but we got there. But then when we rolled damage, we rolled really poorly and still nothing happened. And I don't like that roller coaster effect on that where you like, ah, I'm going to hit, yay, but then I didn't do any damage and it sucks. And there's there might be a, a point where that is an ad additive to the game, but for me it's a negative. I would rather it be a static effect tied to how much you succeeded by. So let's say you, had a, you need to get a five, you got a five, you do one damage. You get a six, you do two damage. You get a seven, you do three damage. I would like that a lot better. It also would split, speed up. Uh, that part of the game a little bit more. So again, it's a minor critique, but that that's one thing that I could see doing a little bit different. All right, so Caleb, tell us about your character. Okay, so in this game, I chose to play Kadia, uh, otherwise known as Roman Jimenez. As I have chosen in several other superhero tests, I went with the guy with no powers. He's just a dude swinging fists with metahumans. I made that choice specifically because I wanted to see what would happen in the rules. I wanted to see how balanced it was with a normal dude with a knife compared to other dudes with superpowers. Like the other characters, Kadia did suffer some pretty traumatic motivations that brought him into the superhero vigilante life. Uh, basically, he came from a gang life on the streets uh, was pretty heavily involved in drug trade. And uh, then he got himself out of the gang, started fighting against them and wanted to wants to stop gang activity and the drug trade. So he's pretty involved with that protecting people on the streets thing. When it came to 
role-playing and doing investigatory things, doing skill checks, I felt great. I felt like Kadia had his strengths that he played to. He had his connections in the gang world, in the criminal underworld. Uh, I had some cool opportunities to role-play my I-want-to-protect-the-streets kind of aspect. So that was fun. When it came to doing superhero things, I felt he was really underclassed. There was a very obvious and huge gap between what my character could do and what everyone else's character could do. It very clearly fit within the flavor of the world. I I don't think that there was a flaw to how this character was built. I think he was balanced. I think he was a a well-made PC. But a lot of the times I felt like I really couldn't contribute. I felt like I really couldn't add anything to the fight. I mean, we were fighting mutated giant bee monsters. And I was a dude with a bicycle chain and a knife. So I, I felt like my guy being in the fight was a liability to the other superheroes. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's just an interesting dynamic to note. There's always that guy in, in superhero world that doesn't have superpowers, but somehow he always manages to be really awesome. In this case, he wasn't that awesome when they were fighting the monsters. So I think that's kind of realistic. So props to the system for reflecting that dynamic. As the gamer part of me, I felt kind of bummed out because I felt like I couldn't do as much in the combat, so I didn't really get to experience as much of the game. But maybe if I had realized the dynamic of my character a little bit earlier, maybe if I had experienced it through building him from level one up, maybe if I had just known a little bit more about the story of the world and the setting we were going into, maybe I would have been able to been more prepared on how to adapt to that. If my character really was the guy living on the street who had been through a bunch of gang fights, he probably would have been able to figure out a way to be useful in a fight, even if he couldn't toss around with the supers. But in general, I liked the choice I made. I I liked uh, what it allowed me to see in the game. And, And I think it was a great experience. Well, and that's something where, you know, if you're going to play that type of character, like, you know, the question from DC or even Batman for some of the earlier comics, you know, I know Batman has become the part of the justice league, but that really makes like no sense. So it w- it would probably make more sense. Like if everybody was playing that level of a character, so that that's possibly just like a, a theme or style choice that if you're going to run that game that you say, everyone needs to be that way or no one needs to be that way. Or just, you know, we played one session that was a, pre-written adventure over a long-term campaign, there probably would have been a lot of times where your character would have been the heroic one or the linchpin to our plan. It just didn't quite happen in that game. Uh, I do want to go back, as I Ro pointed out, I'm, I misspoke earlier about my phasing power. I could phase through inorganic stuff like walls. I could not phase through organic stuff like people. So that's why people could punch me. So if I misspoke there, I apologize. Or the bees that we were fighting. Or the bees, which is true. I'm, I'm a, a phaser, but I still was able to get hit by the bees, which kind of sucked. Yeah, one thing I actually that I did notice about Caleb's character through the game, which I found interesting, he rolled more dice than the rest of us on average. Now, there were things that each of us did do well. Like, for example, Jason's character had great science rolls, things like that. 
But I did notice Caleb rolled more die on average and rolled better on uh, I mean, obviously rolling better is just because he had a bigger dice pool. But I think that, obviously without seeing the character gen side of it, that might be the distinguishing line in that, you know, like mine says that uh, my teleporting ability costs, it has a level of six. So I imagine in character generation, I had to pay a certain amount to get to that point. Caleb, on the other hand, wouldn't have had to pay that and could have allotted more points towards other things. So I, I, I can understand that in combat, it feels weak. And without seeing character generation, it's hard to say. But that might be the uh, balancing point between them. That's a really good point, Ro. I didn't think of that at all. So by making the choice to not have superpowers, you are getting the extra specialties, the extra masteries, uh, the extra dice to invest in my skills. Interesting. Well, that really does build that old school Batman character. Because remember, kids, Batman used to be the world's greatest detective. He wasn't always... I'm going to punch you in the face. Where's the bomb? Right. He, he used to be the, yeah, I'm a dude in a costume, but I'm just going to sit here and outsmart you. He was the, the skill monkey. He, he didn't run around in armor. He had goofy gadgets, but they always supported his smarts. So, so yeah, I guess my guy really was kind of the more, I mean, he certainly wasn't a detective. He wasn't Batman. But he really was the, I live by my skills. I exist by my experiences. And in the narrative of the world, that makes sense. If I have my powers to rely on, I don't necessarily need those things that you do because I have powers. Uh, which goes back to what Randy had said when we talked about luck in uh, our D&D game. That was kind of the math he came up with. All right, so we will go through one more time. And this is just sort of any closing thoughts, good, bad, in general, just anything that you we didn't cover that you want to bring up. Uh, Jason, we'll start with you. So uh, what were you think? Kind of closing thoughts here. Overall, I did like the game. I can't wait to try it again, maybe with some physical dice and trying to take over the entire table with my pool. I might need a lot. I actually got a critical hit, if you remember, rolled 20 dice, and that would be massive on a real table to see 20 dice rolled at once. So yeah, I, in general, I liked it. The The character was great. The story was great. I like, um, as Ro mentioned, the, the mental strain threshold was really cool. You know, I lost use of my arm, which was a very, you know, important point in my character. It was right at the end of the story, but it made me feel something, you know, inside that, oh shit, I, my arm isn't working now. That's so much a part of what I'm going to, what I can do in this game. What am I going to do now? And it was very powerful. And I really liked that aspect of the game. And in general, playing a superhero is super fun. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you participated. Thank you so much for stepping in. We really do appreciate it. And I thank you for your time tonight as well. All right, Ro, how about you? Any final closing thoughts about the game? Yeah, I thought it was great. Uh, like I said, I'm a big fan of the superhero genre, and there really aren't enough mid-level games that are n ruled but not ru too rule-heavy, and that's what this seemed to be. Basically, you have powers, the powers do what the powers do, and then there are rules to describe everything else, which, in my mind, is the most logical way of doing things. Like you said, if I can teleport, I can teleport. If I can phase, I can phase. There's no reason there should be situations where all of a sudden I'm out of phaseability. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. It takes into a lot a lot of aspects of... It, it takes the best out of a lot of different games, I feel. And yeah, uh, I think from here, I just need to see character generation. I need to see how I can make these cool characters. Excellent. And then Caleb, how about you? Final thoughts? Loved the game. 
I like the setting. I, I really want to dig more into the flavor of the world because, like I said, the game really accurately portrays that gritty Iron Age, I'm a superhero, but there's still a risk to my activity kind of vibe. So I, I love the world that we were set in. The mechanics, I said it at the very beginning, I'll say it again, they're that great sweet spot between a lot of crunch and a lot of role-playing fluff. There's, uh, there's the, the support there of a lot of dice and a lot of numbers, so it makes a lot of sense when you're throwing skills around. But there is a huge benefit, a tangible benefit to role-playing. It's not just, okay, you role-played, here's inspiration. No, there is a very tangible resource uh, derived from role-playing. And the use of that resource, I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I am not the biggest fan of extra resources outside of your character sheet at the table, but the vigilance pool here was awesome. It was, it was a number right there that I could see as we were playing. I could see it going down. And when it went down, I got nervous. I got worried that something was going to happen and we wouldn't have that resource to help us out. And when we did something cool and when we were successful, I saw it go up. That was a nice little, hey, we won. We won this little interchange. We were cool here. I like the fact that with the vigilance pool, we could negotiate. We could talk to Andy and say, okay, you know, I think that's what this is worth now. It also assigned kind of a value. You know, if we wanted to use the vigilance pool to get back up from an NPC, you could right there say, okay, well, let's use two dice out of the vigilance pool. We're going to get less help than if we blow five dice out of the vigilance pool. So a very easy to understand and tangible way to define what type of help we're getting, what type of story element we are creating. We didn't really get to touch on that in our discussion, but you can burn dice out of the vigilance pool to create NPCs, to create elements of the world, to create a, a background fact that might not have been there before. So you could do a lot of really cool stuff with that. I'm a fan of this game. I would like to read through the whole book, understand character generation. I would like to play around with it a little bit more. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the play test. I think Andy ran a great game for us. Yeah, I do want to touch just quickly on the vigilance pool that, uh, again, that was one of the things I really enjoyed because there were several times where my character in particular, me being me, I did things that were counterproductive to the team. And every time I did it, I got to see that number go up. And, and it didn't just go up by one. There were times where it went up by three and four and five at a time. And I, I remember specifically there was one exchange. And, I, and it's funny, I don't remember the specifics of the exchange, but I remember there were two of us that we were interacting in character really well. And that number just kept going up. And it was like motivation, like, let's just keep this going. Let's just keep role playing here. And, and part of that might have been because it was electronic. That actually might have been a, a better avenue because he, he wasn't throwing dice into the you know, into the tub and we didn't hear the click, but I could just see the number going up. And that was really encouraging to me that, yeah, I'm, I'm complicating the story, but we're getting something good in return. And, and I've, you know, Jason knows he's playing in one of my fifth edition games. I'm terrible about inspiration. I never remember to give it, but that seemed like a better way of doing it because it was instantaneous. It wasn't even handing a chip that I might use later. 
just the fact that that number kept going up, I knew that we were building up a pool that we could use later. So the Vigilance pool was one of my favorite parts of this game. Uh, so I'll close it out here. No surprise, I loved this game. And uh, I've played, as I said, four superhero games now in a very short period of time. And no disrespect to any of them. I really liked Marvel Heroic. I really liked Metahumans Rising. This is hands down my favorite. Uh, if I'm going to play an R- a superhero RPG right now, this is probably the one that I'm going to go to. Probably will be a book that I add to my collection very soon. So absolutely highest possible praise for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I also want to thank Andy for running the game. And, and again, he's going to be at a Catacon. Throw that plug in there. So if anybody wants to come meet him, maybe play a game, he's supposed to be there. This game is currently for sale. It, it is a real thing. It's already existed. It's not in, not in, it was, it was already successfully kickstarted. So it exists. I will link in the show notes where you can go and buy copies of it. And I hope you guys will check it out because I really, really enjoyed the game. So for me, Caleb, Jason, and Roe, Appreciate your time. Hopefully you enjoyed our actual play in this recap. And uh, we'll see you at the next trial. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash therpgacademy.com and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, We get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google+, Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>